Drinking night. With a movie problem. I'm Matt. I'm Laura. And today. Rashomon. Yeah. Good suggestion. I was looking for something. It was eight o'clock. I didn't want to turn it into like a Lawrence of Arabia. Mm-hmm. Um, three. I didn't realize this movie was only 88 minutes long. No, it is like surprisingly short. They considering four? they go through like four different versions of the same story. Yeah. Which is the whole point of Rashomon. Well, it's a pretty simple story. Like, boy meets girl. Boy violates girl. (laughs) Boy stabs. Somebody stabs another boy. Yeah, this movie wouldn't have survived the Me Too movement. There's a lot of, like... Yeah, but she kind of did... (laughs) You know? And there's, you know... Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because if... I'm almost tempted to have, like, recorded what I thought this movie was before watching it because I remember seeing it a while ago. And I thought, one, I thought for some reason the murder was, like, a lot more of... It's interesting watching it a second time. The questionably consensual, definitely not consensual, probably rape is I think the biggest part of this confusing tale. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I guess that's a big part of the cuz the of of why all of their stories all of their stories diverge not not because of the murder mm. but because of the rape and how everybody reacted to it yeah right like if if you if you take the woodcutter's version as of the story as fact then the woman's version of the story which is all about how like her husband despised his husband her. Dis- yeah she, that, that she was shamed and then her husband despised her for for what had happened, even though she had been raped. And then, she, you know, like, and so it, it, it's the this, you know, pride and purity kind of narrative from her. Uh, it's, you know, the bandit not wanting to admit that his, like, masculinity was compromised because after he raped this woman, he then got on his hands and knees and begged mm. her to be with him forever. And it's the... I'll give everything up for you. I'll, I'll even wear... If you I'll don't want my dinner, job. I'll get a job. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's it's the, you know, husband... Not wanting to admit, like... Or, or wanting this narrative of, of him having been the victim and the wife and the bandit both having betrayed him. Yeah. Like... Kill my kill, kill my husband. husband, and it was he wasn't the real man, and, no, I, and, I, and I, I was I, the real and, man, and I, and I almost forgave. I almost could have forgiven the bandit for, for raping my wife. I could have willing to oh, yeah. kill her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was one of my favorite parts of the movie. I was willing to forgive the bandit for raping my wife because when she turned on me and told the bandit to kill me, the bandit was like, "Party foul," and threatened to kill her. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it's a good. The, the, that's I, a good note that it all like it. It really is the 
it's the rape that drives their like their stories their stories to, to change and these emotional reactions. Yeah, I mean, because at the end of the day, the guy's dead, and sure, there's a little bit of like changing of narratives and changing of motives depending on like why he died and how he died. But the rape is the thing that's really, really just very, very different from well, every single point well, of view. What's it, what's interesting is they each of each of the three each of the each of the that three four. Each, well yeah but 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 like the, the each of the three narrators that were a party to the the, mm. the crime that happened with these diverging narratives um each of them claims to have been the one that committed the murder. So they're not shying away from the murder itself. They're shying away from the rape, though. Yeah. And and from, like, how they reacted to it. Mm-hmm. I do still find it, like, weirdly, sickeningly, like, 1950s-ish of, like, the two perspectives of that, the woman's perspective and the bandit's perspective, it's not that she immediately was into it. It's that she definitely wasn't into it. But then suddenly she was. Suddenly she was. It's not even like the good versions of that story were consensual the whole time. Like it like all four were pretty non-consensual for at least 50% of that. I think my favorite example of that from this was the from the uh the husband's version was it the husband's version or was it the, the woodcutter's version where the husband after being set loose turns to the turns to his wife and says you've been with two men now <laughs> why don't you kill yourself <laughs> i love the 50s Great time. Well, what I, I mean, kept, this movie was made in 1950. Well, so well, bouncing off of that, what I kept thinking about was this film as like in the context of a society processing the trauma of a defeat in a war mm. and the failure of masculinity. The like, you you have the like says he's super brave and super powerful bandit who ultimately is weak and worthless. You have the cuckold who won't defend his wife. You have the wife who sleeps with the bandit. Like maybe like there, there, there's this, and, and if I feel like you could, if you pulled, if you pulled the bandit out or, I feel like there's an alternate telling of this that involves an occupation soldier, mm. like an American occupation soldier and the man who fails to protect his wife from the rape by the occupation soldier. Or is it that the woman is betraying her Japanese husband to be with the stronger won the war white dude or like there's a, there's a lot of these kind of dynamics that I think speak to traumas that Japanese society was processing at the time. I mean, you, you had like star you had actual starvation in Japan after the war for a hot when you had you had even even middle class Japanese people scrounging metal from American bases um, in order to make ends meet. Like there was a really prominent. Um, scandal with uh, um, that 
in the middle of renegotiation to expand the U.S. base presence, um, there was this GI that basically gestured to some Japanese people uh, to come pick up some scrap metal um, that he was standing near. Um, And then when they got close, he turned and shot one of them with um, it, it shot one of them with an essentially shot an empty casing at them. Only the empty casing hit the woman so hard that it killed her. Um, and this scandal broke in the middle of base negotiations. The guy was a terrible defendant. We actually turned him over to the Japanese justice system. It was literally so bad uh, and such a public scandal and his behavior and, and his like explanations of his conduct were so pathetic that instead of like trying him in like military court, they handed him over to the Japanese government, <laughs> which found him guilty of actually he got off pretty easy. He found him guilty of manslaughter and gave him like a few months. Like it was, but, but like, you know, so what you're saying is this movie essentially is wrestling with, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know that it's the, that that's the point of the film, but it is, but it is, I think there are things here, there are things here that resonate with a culture that's going through that. Like even the, the time, yeah, even the dilapidated Rashomon temple and these comments about how like everybody lies and steals these Mm. days. These are times that try the, the faith of, of our, you know, even the Buddhist priests lose their faith in humanity. You know, like, people are stealing from the baby and feel no shame about it because they, you know, like... Ooh, from Kiyomizu Temple. Yeah. Yeah, people are stealing from the baby and feel no... And, and when called on it, are like, well, why am I the evil one? Aren't the kids that abandon this... Aren't the, the parents that abandon this baby, aren't they the real evil ones? Won't someone else just steal this kimono if I don't? Didn't you steal, guy who's accusing me of being a thief? Yeah. Like, there, there, there's I a lot of things that, re- that would, like, they would resonate, you know? I'd completely forgotten about the baby part of this movie upon yeah. the second watch. Yeah. Rashapan is so quintessentially about like, it's a murder that no one's taking accountability for. And then you watch it and you're like, wait a second. Everyone's claiming to have done Yeah. And it's really kind of about a rape. And also yeah. a baby, question yeah. mark. Anyway, um, but it was, I do appreciate your point of like, what is, what are people wrestling with in that time, in that place? Yeah. And why was this resonating? Mm-hmm. I also just find it really interesting. Um, so you, what you were essentially saying is it, like some people at that time were having trouble reconciling with their feelings of being unable to protect the woman or whatever. Well, that's, yeah, that, that's, that's the line that everybody gave to a, a soldier going out. Like, you know, you need to go out yeah. and, you need to go out and fight and protect our women in our homeland. And like, I mean, they even, the myth, the messaging was so to, was so hard that like, that was one of the big traumas of, uh, of the war for the allied soldiers in, I think was it Okinawa, a couple of these Japanese islands where, um, the women throwing themselves off cliffs. Yes, be, yes. As the Allied soldiers kind of moved in, because whole they, families, right? Yeah, because, it was whole families. Be, because, were essentially they, because they'd been told that you know that the moment the, 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 mo- the, the moment the that the Americans get a hold of you, they're going to rape you to death. Yes. Where I was going before the like yeah before the rape you to death part. Um, I, I was actually going to comment on how it's also almost timeless, the power, not maybe not timeless, but it's interesting, the power dynamics that existed where 
even within the woman's own story up until the woodcutter's version of it, how mm. completely, no, that's not true. The bandit was very impressed by how ferocious the what woman yeah. was. And then the woman's version of the woman is like this completely mm. docile. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that he was dead until I, I was mm-hmm. washing the blood from my hands. Mm-hmm. He had it coming. Not really, no. So her version of the story is like completely domesticated. Yeah. The husband's version of the story, which is communicated through a spiritual medium. Man, is, the actress must have loved playing that too. She was super scenery chewing. It was fun. Yeah, it's true. And then in the woodcutter's version, you get... But what's different is in the woodcutter's version you get a woman who's very much in control of the situation. And I found the woodcutter's version very interesting in that, like, if even if that's a version of the truth and not the whole truth, mm-hmm. that provides so much motivation and explanation as to why everyone was claiming responsibility for the murder. Mm-hmm. How do you mean? Because if there is a version of the truth, if the truth is she'd somehow been a part of, like, setting up Getting them to kill each other. Getting them to kill each other. Then there is something to be won in. Or like. No, I'm 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 down for it. Some, some something. Blue. I think it. I think it very much explains why it's interesting. Like neither of them can admit to be manip- to being manipulated by a woman, and then she can't admit to having manipulated them. Yeah. Perhaps. It's a confusing story. <laughs> oh, did I write down what I was thinking? Did that make it more clear? No, I thought I, I think that I think that makes perfect sense. Or I, I don't know. Maybe 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 I'm not. The or what I'm getting out of what you're saying is like kind of something about again these like 1950s gender roles and what you know all three of these characters are claiming to have committed a murder so they're willing to own the murder uh but they're not they're willing to own the murder in order to avoid admitting the other thing and the other thing for arguably right the other thing for um for the wife is her not having been the perfect demure submissive Japanese princess that she's supposed to be the the character that mm. she performs when she's giving her testimony at the trial. Right. I didn't know, know he was, the, I fainted and then the no. dagger was in his chest, but it was only because I was overcome with shame at his failure to protect me. And I didn't know what to do. Like, like, you know, her failure to be that performance is the thing that she's covering up by admitting the murder, you know, uh, and the two men covering up their kind of incompetence at the sword fighting. Um, the, oh, that like, was, that was, that the, was great. Yeah. Seeing the sword fight from the woodcutter's point of view. Yeah. Yeah. That's always my favorite part of this. Film. <laughs> yeah. Like we're so like it, it is, I don't think there is any sword fight in all of samurai film quite like the, the final version of the, of the sword fight in Rashomon. It's just like, it's like two eight-year-olds given adult-sized bodies, just like <laughs> swinging the sword wildly, dropping them, like throwing them. 
Especially after Mufuni's version of the story from the very beginning of like, and then we had an epic samurai fight. And I remember this because I was so impressed because we crossed swords 23 times and no one's ever crossed swords with me more than 20. So the fact that he was able to cross swords with me 23 times, he was an amazing swordsman. (laughs) (laughs) And then there's like a moment in like the sword cutter or the the woodcutter woodcutters version of the fight where they're just both literally on their back just, just like flailing around swords, laying on the ground yeah like completely incompetent do you feel like this i there's a part of me that feels like this movie tried to be more than it was especially at the tail end with the baby part and getting a little preachy but at the same time it's like no one else is trying to do anything even remotely like this mm-hmm. well I think at the, the time I think the baby part was important, though, because that was how you because if you cut that part out, if you just leave it off with the woodcutter's tale, then the end is like, oh, well, the woodcutter's version is the truth. The end. And where the movie like makes a statement is even the woodcutter Mm. having lied about the, you know, or omitted that he's the one that stole the super expensive dagger. And for all of his like pretensions to be judging these people he's a thief too and then the despair that 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 the environment of despair that that creates where like you know everybody's a thief everybody's a liar but then even within that the kind of final message of hope of you know that comes from the woodcutter being willing to take this stray kid in of you know like even when everyone is a even when everybody is a a thief and a liar, even in this, even in this world that, that Kurosawa's created, where literally everybody is kind of a moral failure. Being a moral failure doesn't mean you can't try to do one right thing. Mm-hmm. And that's where the hope is. As represented by the priest. And a baby. Nobody's ever baby. represented hope with a baby before. That's very, like, <laughs> so very, weak. you know, thought, you know, thoughtful and novel, you know, symbol. A thing I found really interesting was the amount of impishness that Mifune had in his own retelling, as well as the other retellings of the story as well, of like, yeah. it's really interesting in that there's an uh, impishness is just I feel like such a the right word for it of him yeah. just like cackling bouncing ah. up and down there's so much laughter and yeah. so much joy and it's abrupt laughter it's really disorienting yeah and it's really interesting because it's like if you pitch this movie to me today there is no universe in which I would imagine like this uh, like badass bandit or maybe this incompetent ba- ba- bandit with a really really badass reputation is just cackling and bouncing off the walls to that degree. Well, to it's very a, childlike. It was very childlike, which it, was a very interesting choice in his it, performance. Yeah, but it does play up kind of the, uh, this idea that like each of the three, each of the three of them has an identity that they're trying to project. And that, that projected identity is more important to them than Murder, not, not being, being a murderer. murderer. You know, like, and, 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 you know, Mifune's character doesn't just want to be a bandit. He wants to be the coolest, happy-go-luckiest, most super strong and not afraid of any, and doesn't afraid of anything 
of all the bandits. And so like, and, and he's playing that character, even when he like, he's been arrested and he's making a point to, and for murder and he's making a point to laugh about how little he cares about it. And that, yeah, I, I killed him. So what? Ha 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 ha. <laughs> I can see why that role really like kickstarted the yeah. career for him. Yeah. It was really compelling. It was really fun to watch. Yeah. That movie really stands up. Yeah, yeah. Where there were a couple of really good shots. I think I think we both had one moments where yeah. we were like, "That's a brilliantly framed shot." I think for me it was when um, Mifune is advancing on um, the samurai, getting ready to murder him, and they move past. Uh, this is like late in the uh, the the battle of incompetence. Yeah, the, uh, the incompetent version of the battle as told by the woodcutter. The uh, samurai gets his sword stuck in a tree stump after Mifune has already lost his sword, too. Um, and then and so they go from the samurai kind of wildly chasing Mifune around while Mifune has no sword and is doing this kind of keystone cops routine, running away from the guy <laughs> with the big pointy knife. Um, but then uh, the tables turn and the uh, samurai gets his sword stuck in something and then it's Mifune. Uh, you know, chasing him around. But it's this much more, when Mifune does it, it's this slow, ominous advance with the blade. And they they do, a, they have a really great shot they frame up uh, with, uh, with the samurai crawling backwards on all fours and Mifune slowly advancing and his, they pass in the foreground the uh, samurai's sword, which is stuck in the tree stump, and it's just this beautifully framed, with the, you know, the samurai's sword. A reminder of where it sword and, yeah. slightly out of focus. Yeah. it was beautiful. Yeah. And then you picked out. There were a couple of shots that were really well composed. I loved the framing of the shot at the end. A lot of the exteriors of the temple complex oh, were yeah. gorgeous. The conversations in the rain with all the symmetry. What I found really interesting was how much camera movement there was. Yeah. And in the 1940s, when they were filming this, because if this was released in 1950, they probably weren't using top-of-the-line brand-new Hollywood cameras. Yeah. And they were able to get so much camera movement yeah. into the cinematography mm -hmm. as people were chasing each other around in the woods, as yep. the camera was chasing around this woman crying hysterically, as people were fighting each other in the hysterically. woods hysterically. And, and these lenses that were capturing so much deep focus, just layers and layers and layers of leaves, like, it's weird because I wish that I can intellectually be amazed by that, but because uh, it's the year 2023 and I've seen deep focus and camera moves like that all the time. Visually, it won't be striking. It's not that visually striking, but I look at that and I'm like, that was really hard to do. Yeah. But that's like, 
I wish that I could be amazed by it, but I respect that and I understand that's really, really cool and in the time in which it happened. And it must have been crazy to see at the time they, they, that it was released. It's, yeah. like, it's, like the, it's like the first, you know, light speed jump in Star Wars. You know? Yeah. Like how, how often have we seen stuff like that now? Like if, exactly. if you showed me something like that in a new movie, I'd be like, okay, whatever. But I like, mean, Psycho, but it 2001. There's so many iconic moments that are just like, oh, yeah. Speak, uh, speaking of the other, the other iconic or thing that I found really impressive for its time, the sound design um, for yeah. the uh, for the seance uh, or the medium who was speaking, who the the dead man was speaking through, and you know, syncing her, you know, her lips up to his, you know, voiceover, but also like the kind of eerie, kind of raspy audio quality that they put on uh, on the recording of his voice from beyond the grave yeah really striking and uncanny that was really really cool as well as like the movements the performance of the medium and and the oh, costume yeah. design that he or she was wearing as they were yep. kind of flowing around that was really really cool really really cool and an interesting yeah. decision to get the dead man's take on why he died. And it was definitely, definitely. I killed myself. Yeah. Yeah. Because, no, you know, no, something, no, no, something no, no. honor and something, I something nobody, my wife betrayed I know, me. I nobody's victim. Everybody. Be, they all betrayed me. <laughs> You're tearing me apart, Kimiko. <laughs> uh, that was really cool. Oh, I also, speaking of the sound and music, uh, it was. I thought it was really, really lovely. I, I'm, I don't know enough about music to be able to clearly say what I feel, but each of the pieces of music that was representing each of the different versions of the story, each character had their own, not just like melody, but they had their own whole, like it just had a completely different feel. And that was really, really cool. Taking like a unique one. auditory perspective. Yeah. New, different, maybe different instruments, maybe different. It was just really, I, really I, well done. I, I remember Very reading. Distinct. I, I remember reading that like there was some specific instrument that uh, that Kurosawa insisted on being in the woman's version of the story, but I, I, mean, huh. I, I didn't have any more background on that. So that's that's a Google. That's Google. That's homework, a Google. I'm sure there's a lot on the production of this. Yeah. I also didn't realize that this movie was an adaptation. I always thought it was an original story, and because it's like no, because yeah. it's a meme. Like, Rashomon is a meme at yeah. this point. And so I always thought it was, like, an original story and kind of, like, one of the first times that this was broken in pop culture. But I'll have to look up because the opening credits said this was based on In a, in a Grove. And I had no idea that this yeah. story had already existed. Or at least this way of telling a story mm -hmm. had already existed. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's so easy to relatively mm -hmm. it's a lot easier to write something than it is to make a movie so i'm sure this has existed even before in the grove but that was a thing that i found surprising um yeah any other thoughts um kurosawa loved him some dappled Leaf dappled shade light. In this, yeah, dappled leaf shade light in this movie. Yeah. I feel like there's like a metaphor there about like inability to completely, you know, like it's it's kind of in the ah, shade. The it's kind of in the shade and you kind of view it through the tree branches. I'm, I'm, I'm it's not just black and white. Hashtag deep. That was deep, man. That's deep. <laughs>